webradio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome to the Doctor's Lounge. This is your host for today, Dr. Mike Karuchak. Thanks very much for joining us today on the Doctor's Lounge here on America's Web Radio. The Doctor's Lounge is sponsored by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. We believe in free market solutions to the problems facing our healthcare system today. Today's show is unique. Today's show is kind of a one in a million show because of some unique circumstances that I'm going to outline for you. So we're just going to jump right into this. Uh, this past Tuesday, I guess a week ago Tuesday, uh, CNN had a debate, sort of a town hall style debate uh, between, uh, you know, independent slash basically Democrat liberal uh, Bernie Sanders uh, versus conservative Republican Ted Cruz on the future of Obamacare. What should happen? Right. We have this new opportunity to uh, revise or change Obamacare uh, or repeal and replace Obamacare uh, in a new political climate with a new person in the White House. Uh, and so the question is, what now? And uh, CNN kindly put on a debate between two folks who were at the opposite edges of the political spectrum regarding the issue, of course. And I had the good fortune of being invited to this debate last week in Washington, D.C., to ask one of several questions from the audience. And this came in the Saturday before the debate on Tuesday. So I had three days to prepare a question, go back and forth with the producers at CNN. Then they changed the question not once but twice. Uh, but they very kindly flew me to D.C., put me up in a nice place, took care of all my transportation, got me to this debate. And with the question that we had worked on together, sat me down with a piece of paper with a question on it and said, at some point during the broadcast, we will call on you to read your question. And I had some questions about how this was going to go, of course. My question was, you know, how much would the two congressmen be directly interacting with the audience versus uh, what would go on, uh, you know, versus having the moderators moderate and, and interfere. And their their impression was that there would not be anything for me to do except read the question and sit down. Fine. Uh, as it turned out, the politicians ran long. Some of the issues regarding the question I was going to ask got raised spontaneously, and the 90-minute debate came and went with my question unasked. Never got the opportunity to stand and ask the congressman my question. So what was my question going to be? This is what was agreed upon, is that we were going to say something like one of the biggest – it would go like this. One of the biggest frustrations that physicians face – is the incredible paperwork and regulatory burden that we encounter in the course of patient care. Uh, you know, in a healthcare system where cost and access are the most important shortcomings that we face, it is unacceptable that we now have to spend about two hours on paperwork and regulatory obligations for every hour that we're face to face with patients. You know, in an era where cost and access to the issues, this creates unacceptable levels of inefficiency. So, Senator Sanders, whom I was supposed to address the question, Senator Sanders, how can we reduce the level of paperwork uh, to allow 
us to be doctors again, to, to take care of patients as opposed to being paper pushers. That was supposed to be the question. Um, the question never got asked. Uh, it did get a little bit addressed because Ted Cruz brought it up uh, you know, in terms of the heavy paperwork burden. They both agreed that the burden was unacceptable. Uh, and when I saw that happen, I thought, you know what, I'm, my goose is probably cooked in terms of asking the question, but fine. But it creates a very, very interesting sort of scenario or sort of a what if. You know, what if I got to ask my question? Or better yet, the way Bernie Sanders was talking that night, he was engaging the questioners rather aggressively. So what if I got into a little debate with him? What if I got to participate in the debate? Uh, and I actually had one of my uh, colleagues from the health IT community who's actually been a guest on the show, uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Webster, Dr. Charles Webster, who actually created a, a hilarious graphic where he took the CNN page and, and stuck my face between the two of them, and we put that out on Facebook, and it was pretty funny. But what if? What if a doctor, me or somebody else, what if a doctor got to actually participate in a healthcare debate with two politicians, one from each political extreme, what would the what would that look like? Because certainly we need that. I mean, we have not had any intelligent blood in, injected into this debate for literally for decades. I mean, at least the eight years since Obamacare has come along, uh, but decades back that going back to Hillary Care, going back to Jimmy Carter. Uh, you know, it's always been a debate between politicians, and no one who touches patients for a living has ever been allowed into the discussion. So, what if? What if we had that debate? So I decided for this show that I would go all the way through the video from this CNN debate and I would pull sound bites, questions, issues, answers, uh, and uh, weave those in and out with my comments for all of the stuff that folks were saying and sort of create a virtual debate uh, or a virtual discussion, sort of what had happened, what would happen if a doctor actually got to take the stage with these folks and actually uh, inject some new thoughts into the discussion. So what I'm going to do here for the rest of the hour, as long as I last here, is uh, is go ahead and play parts of the debate and and then respond with what my answers would be to the questions that were coming down. So here we go. President Trump has made the repeal and replacement of the Affordable Care Act one of his top priorities. To certain members of our audience, that legislation has been a lifesaver. To others, it has harmed livelihoods. Interesting choice of words there from Dana Bash, one of the hosts. It was Dana Bash and Jake Tapper. She said, to some people, Obamacare has been life-saving. To others, it has interfered with their livelihoods or something like that. I thought, I wonder why the... The uh, the negative side of Obamacare was spelled in terms of economic implications and not medical implications, as if it didn't matter that people couldn't afford their premiums or deductibles under Obamacare. It was all about livelihoods, and I, I wonder if that's sort of a, a bit of media bias coming out in the first 30 seconds of the program. Clearly, there was some media bias here. Uh, you know, Of the six questions that did get asked, uh, four of those were pro-Obamacare questions, like, I love my Obamacare, what are you guys going to do about my current medical situation? That's what we're going to hear. Uh, you know, six questions, two-thirds of them were pro-Obamacare, only two were against Obamacare. Had I been asked, had, had I been allowed to ask my question, that would have made it, uh, you know, it would have been uh, four 
for Obamacare and three against, which is acceptably close. But be that as it may, I don't begrudge any media bias here. I, you know, it, it, it's a private company. It's their, it's their show. It's their playground. They can do what they want to. Uh, I would rather have it on the surface than below the surface and denied. I mean, it's their show. They can do what they want to. And I'm grateful that they invited me. Uh, I believe that when that was all put together that their interest in putting me on was genuine. Uh, of course, I'm disappointed that I didn't get to ask the question. And of course, it's it's bad that a doctor didn't get to enter the discussion during the one opportunity where it should have. But we're going to try and recreate that today and, and see what happens. So that was the first opening remark. So let's move on to opening arguments between the two of them. And we're going to play a short little clip about what Bernie has to say about uh, what if Obamacare is repealed. You are one of 20 million Americans who finally has received health insurance. Forget about it. You're gone. You're off health insurance. And that means... Okay, so you're gone. Okay. Um, first thing, Bernie, stop arguing against straw men. That's the first thing I would say, is no one is seriously considering repealing Obamacare and not replacing it and just taking any American, let alone 20 million, and just kicking them out on the street. So stop arguing against the straw man and start facing the people who are facing you. Uh, you know, I think that would be the first thing I'd say. So let's move on to uh, Ted Cruz's uh, opening arguments, what his excerpts uh, were. You know, six years ago when Obamacare was being adopted, it's possible that reasonable minds could have differed on whether this was a good idea. But six years into it, we've seen the results. We remember Obamacare. A series of promises were made to us by President Obama. Number one, most infamously, if you like your plan, you can keep your plan. President Obama said that 37 different times. All right, and he went on. I'm going to cut that one off for the sake of time. He went on into all the appropriate statistics that we really need to emphasize, uh, which has to do with the broken promises of liking your plan, liking your doctor, being able to keep those. Uh, the fact that Obama promised and all of his surrogates, including Bernie Sanders, promised that premiums would drop $2,500. Instead, they've gone up by twice that amount. So, you know, horribly off in that calculation. I, those are the numbers that we really need to work on and, and develop those and, and, and develop the implications. Because again, what is this all about? It's about cost and access. So here are metrics that demonstrate complete failure along the cost and access uh, paradigms. Okay, we're going to keep moving on through the debate because i got a ton of material to cover, so here we go. But let us remember where we came from. Before the Affordable Care Act, as Ted probably knows, if you were a family of four during the eight years under George Bush, your premiums doubled. So it's not like, oh, gee, just in America today, health care costs have gone up. They went up much higher before we had the Affordable Care Act. Senator Cruz, do you want to respond to that? Okay, so let's break this down a little bit. Again, misleading statistics. You know, they're they're using uh, you know what they. How do you define that that Obamacare or that uh, premiums before Obamacare went up? Uh, number games you can play there, but but here's the big thing. Here's the big thing is that George Bush didn't make any promises. George Bush didn't have a revolutionary comprehensive health care plan and didn't promise that premiums were going to go down. When Obama and Bernie and everyone else made that promise, they set themselves up. They made a standard for themselves. George Bush didn't break any promises about health care premiums. These guys did. 
right? Obamacare was your dream shot, Bernie. This is the thing that was going to – this was your chance to make good on everything that you've talked about for decades. And that's why it's not the same. Yes, the premiums have been going up. Since, you know, Medicare got into the market in the, in the 60s, premiums have been going up, and, and Obamacare is just more of the same. Premiums continue to go up. Of course they do. When you add regulations, when you add constraints, you know, when you add requirements, of course costs are going to go up. No surprise there. The problem is you promised the opposite, Senator. You promised the opposite. And so, you know, when premiums go up in an environment where you promised something totally different, yes, we're holding you to a different standard. We're holding you to the standard that you set for yourself. And George Bush didn't do that. So, you know, I'm glad that you're bragging that, you know, after spending, you know, how many trillions of dollars over the first 10 years of Obamacare that we've spent all this extra money and the best you can do is brag that things are no different than they were before. So we spent all this money just to have things no different than they were before. I mean, that just doesn't make any sense or, you know, if it does, it sure as heck isn't anything that I would be uh, bragging about. Okay, so uh, we're coming up on uh, the end of the segment. When we get back, we're going to see these guys waste a bunch of time uh, talking about stuff that's not really central to the, uh, the, the major problem that we face. Um, you are listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call, and I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose, and with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. This is your host, Dr. Mike Karuchak. Thanks very much for sticking with us. A very interesting show today, sort of a one-of-a-kind show due to some very unusual circumstances that I talked about in the first segment. Uh, I had the good fortune of being invited by CNN 
uh, very kind of them to uh, fly me up to Washington, D.C. and uh, plan to participate in a town hall debate between Bernie Sanders and Ted Cruz regarding the future of Obamacare. Unfortunately, um, despite what I believe are the best intentions of CNN, um, I never got to ask my question. I was number seven of seven. Uh, of course, the politicians ran long-winded. No surprise there. Um, Ted Cruz actually brought up the topic my question addressed kind of spontaneously. So uh, in a way, it came as no surprise. We, uh, you know, they, they ran out of time. Question was never answered. So, so of course, it brings up a what if. What if I had gotten to participate in this debate? What if I had gotten to ask a question? What if a doctor actually had a chance to fully participate in this debate? What if there was a third podium up on that stage? And what if a doctor, not necessarily me, there's smarter people than me that could have done it, but I was there. What if a doctor <clears throat> had gotten to participate in a debate about Obamacare with two senators uh, from ideological extremes. So what we're doing here is kind of creating a virtual debate uh, with a doctor participating. And so I'm, I've pulled clips from the debate um, and put my responses in where I think they make a little bit of sense. So we were moving on to a, a part where I think these guys wasted a bunch of time talking about stuff that's peripheral. So I'm going to go ahead and play this stuff and then uh, and then give you my take. So here we go with this is Ted Cruz coming up next. Are stubborn things. Let's talk about some facts. In 2008, the 10 largest insurance companies in America made just over $8 billion profit. In 2016, 2015 rather, those same 10 largest companies made $15 billion in profit. Insurance company profits have doubled under Obamacare. That was the result. Bernie helped write Obamacare. I don't think the federal government ought to be passing a law that doubles insurance company profits. And while those, those profits were doubling. Okay, and I, I cut him off. Here's, uh, here's Bernie's uh, response to that. Private insurance companies to run the system. But it's not only the points that Ted made about the insurance companies. What he forgot to tell you, even adding insult to injury, is many of these CEOs that the insurance companies make outrageous compensation and get all of these severance packages, in some cases over $100 million. Hey. Ted, let's work together. We're going to get those insurance companies out of health care. We'll move to a <laughs> Medicare for all health care program guaranteeing health care to all people. Thank well, you, Senator. Uh, nice. Bernie, I like your style. Um, you know, almost a little tongue in cheek, uh, you know, knowing that nobody's going to bite on the, um, uh, on the, on the true Medicare for all thing, uh, especially not Ted Cruz standing next to you. But I like the way you did it. I, I, I like you personally. I think I would if I met you. I like your style, but, but, uh, and I like the one thing that you said. There's one thing in there, Senator Sanders, that I think is the one thing that you and I would agree on more so than anything else that was said all night. And that's when you said it's time to get the insurance companies out of health care. Couldn't agree more. I think what we disagree on is exactly how to do that. You want to replace the insurance companies with government. I want to replace the insurance companies with free market uh, models, uh, with insurance only kicking in where true insurance should be, which is on catastrophic things and chronic diseases uh, where it's uh, subsidized by money and risk pools. Um, you do those things, you definitely get insurance out, and you definitely shrink that third-party payer footprint. That's where you and I differ. You just want to replace one third-party payer with another third-party payer. Uh, to me, that doesn't solve any problems. In fact, it makes them worse. Uh, and so I'm saying take out the third-party payer for all but 
very high expense sort of God forbid catastrophic type things and then for long-term chronic diseases, you do that with a risk pool and there's there's ways to do that that are well established by people way smarter than I am. But interestingly, that, that was the one thing that you said all night, Senator Sanders, that – uh, is something that uh, you know we could both agree on. So uh, uh, let's talk about some of these other things that they talked about here, uh, which is really kind of a waste of time. You know, they they love to demonize stuff, right? And in this part of the debate, they brought out the torches and pitchforks, and they talked about CEO salaries, big pharma profits. Uh, insurance company profits. They even turned on the FDA, their own government agency, and said, too big, too slow. Uh, and then they talked about some, uh, you know, peripheral sort of laws that I like, uh, but I don't know that they solve the fundamental problem, right? They talked about right to try. What does right to try mean? That means if there's a drug that's in the FDA approval process, hasn't been fully um, approved, you have a patient who is desperately ill and this drug might help them, that even though it's not fully approved, you have a right to try it. I think that's great, uh, but it's not. it doesn't address the fundamental problem of what are we going to do with the whole healthcare system. Similarly, they talked about a law that would allow Americans to buy drugs outside the United States where they're cheaper because they're price controlled. Fine. Again, you're not going to solve the problem. I mean, it's, you know, it's an economy where the high prices in the U.S. subsidize the lower prices outside the U.S. And if you upset that balance, something's got to give. Uh, they also talked about something uh, called reciprocity drug approval, where if another country has used adequate standards to approve a drug, the FDA should approve that drug, they said, within 30 days. Fine. Uh, again, is that going to solve the soaring cost of health care? No, none of that stuff is kind of a distraction, kind of a waste of time, but so be it. Speaking as the man whose question never got asked because they ran out of time, not that I have any personal stake in it, but be that as it may. Okay, time to move on to the um, – the first of the audience questions, and this was a uh, a woman with breast cancer. So here we go. If Obamacare is repealed, 52 million Americans could lose that guaranteed coverage because of their medical histories. One of them is Neosha Ponder, who is fighting breast cancer and currently undergoing radiation treatment. Neosha. Senator Cruz, if Obamacare is repealed, is there anything you can do to ensure the provisions are in place so that half of my paycheck won't be spent on health care? I didn't ask for cancer. I never smoked. I never drank a lot. I've lived a pretty healthy lifestyle. I fear that I fear that if Obama, if I don't have Obamacare, if I'm not covered, then my pre-existing condition of breast cancer and remaining treatments will make it difficult for me to afford insurance. Senator Cruz, what can you do to protect people like me who are alive because of Obamacare? Well, Neil, thank you for asking that question. And, and how, long, how long have you been diagnosed with breast cancer? I was diagnosed on April 25th, 2016. Look, my response, as I said hundreds of times on the campaign trail, yes, we should repeal every word of Obamacare. Mm-hmm. But if you listen to the next sentence, I always said, we're not done yet with health care reform. And we do that. We need health care reform and the principles of health care reform. They should expand competition. They should empower patients. And they should keep government from getting between you and your doctor. And I talked about all sorts of common sense ideas to do just that. And, and as I said, a proposal that is consistent in virtually every one of the pieces of Republican legislation that's been filed is a prohibition on insurance companies canceling people because they got sick. And, and you know, Bernie, it's, it's, it's easy to say to people, gosh, you're going to lose your coverage. What do the Democrats say to the six million people who had their health insurance? 
Okay. Uh, you know, the doctor's perspective on this is a little different. I, you know, it's, it's easy to kind of get lost answering a question like this. Um, I, I think what you just have to say is, look, doctors want all this to cost less. Right? You got to keep your eye on the ball. This is a cost and access question. And, you know, they keep talking about how to pay for it. Well, if all you talk about is how to pay for it, eventually it's going to cost so much that there isn't going to be enough money around to pay for it. So what would I say to a woman who is fighting breast cancer, who's worried about losing her insurance with, uh, you know, if Obamacare is repealed or significantly altered? Uh, and I think I would just say, look, you know, there's enough folks that are committed to not letting that happen that um, I think it's pretty safe to say it's not going to happen. And certainly if, if doctors are allowed to be a part of the debate and have any influence over it, it's definitely not going to happen. But what you have to focus on is making her treatments cost less. You know, I am sure that in an environment where patients were putting out the dollars, uh, in an environment where you're spending your own money, and any money you don't spend, you get to t- keep. Uh, you know, in in a health savings account type of environment, uh, that you would find that uh, that this stuff would cost less. Uh, the other thing I would say to her is that any plan is going to cover catastrophic events like cancer, and is going to put that into a comprehensive insurance plan. So uh, I, I would say that she's very safe, but I think doctors can give a better answer than politicians can on uh, on, on that particular uh, point. So let's move on to uh, the second question. Um, the second question, is, uh, the next two questions actually were asked by uh, women sitting right in front of me. Um, uh, this person, uh, the next question is uh, by a lady named Melissa who's a nurse practitioner. We got to chat and get to know each other. Very nice lady, works for an internist uh, up in Maine. Um, but uh, here's what, uh, what she had to say and then the responses, initial responses of both congressmen are in the same clip. So here we go. So. Good evening, Senators. Thank you for your time. As he said, I'm a nurse practitioner. I've worked in healthcare for over 25 years now. But under Obamacare, I'm not able to get the health services I need for myself or my family. Last year, I had a very abnormal pap smear and needed additional tests. But our plan has a $13,000 deductible before it will cover anything. So I wasn't able to afford to get those tests done. So now I sit here wondering if I have an undiagnosed cancer and that will eventually take me away from my four children. My plan premiums plus deductible cost over $25,000 for the year, and it covers little more than basic preventative services. Senator Sanders, my question is, why should we, my family be forced to pay so much money for an insurance plan that is essentially useless and Good. doesn't do anything Pam, for me? Pam? Melissa. 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 Sorry. Melissa, you ask a great question, and the answer is it is totally absurd. It is totally absurd. But the the real question we should be asking, Melissa is talking about an outrageous deductible, right? Yes. So it prevents you from going to the doctor when you should be going. The real question, which is never talked about or very rarely talked about, is why we end up spending as a nation twice as much per capita on health care as do the people of any other country. Now, if you were in Canada, you know what? You would get the health care that you needed. If you were in the UK, France, Germany, Scandinavia, you would get the health care you need as a right of being a citizen in this country. The idea that we have policies like that, 
like the one you described, is clearly an outrage and should tell every American that we've got to join the rest of the industrialized world and guarantee health care to all people as a right. And when we do that, by the way, for vast majority of the, pe- the American people, their family incomes will go up. Senator Cruz? You know, Melissa, I'm, I'm sorry for the challenges you're facing. There, there are many people in America struggling with exactly what you are in the wreckage of Obamacare, with skyrocketing premiums, with deductibles that are unaffordable, and with really limited care. And, and, and I will commend Bernie for his candor. I mean, his view all along was that we need government-run and government-controlled health care for everyone. And indeed, as he said here tonight, he thinks other countries do it a lot better than America. He often... I'm going to have to split this one in the middle and pick it up at the end of the next segment or beginning of the next segment. You are listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Uh, This is your host, Dr. Mike Karuchak. Thanks very much for listening to us today. We are doing interesting stuff today, one-of-a-kind kind of of thing, uh, where we're recreating a virtual debate between Bernie Sanders uh, Ted Cruz and a physician, which happens to be me just because I was lucky enough to get invited to this CNN debate. My, I never got a chance to ask my question, but it, it, it of course provokes uh, or inspires sort of a what-if question. What if a doctor got to take the podium uh, with them? What sort of things would we hear? So uh, we're, we were in the middle of the second question, and I'm going to try to split this little soundbite and sort of pick it up where we left off. So here we go. You know, Melissa, I'm, I'm sorry for the challenges you're facing. There, there are many people in America struggling with exactly what you are in the wreckage of Obamacare, with skyrocketing premiums, with deductibles that are unaffordable, and with really limited care. And, and, and I will commend Bernie for his candor. I mean, his view all along was that we need government-run and government-controlled health care for everyone. And indeed, as he said here tonight, he thinks other countries do it a lot better than America. He often points to Canada, the United Kingdom. He says, why do we pay more? Well, there's a reason we pay more than those countries. We get a lot more and a lot better health care. Let me give you some basic facts. As I noticed in all the Democratic primary debates, there was no discussion of, of the facts on the other side. The United States, population controlled, delivers three times as many mammograms as Europe, two and a half times the number of MRI scans, and 31% more C-sections. We provide more health care. Not only that, 
In the United Kingdom, for example, wait times. In 2013, you waited 72 days for cataract surgery. You waited 89 days for hip replacement, 95 days for knee replacement. There are 3.7... I wasn't so good at cutting that one off, but you get the idea. <clears throat> you know, On one end, you have uh, you know Senator Sanders saying... Look, uh, we need to just go to single payer and all this will go away. And you have Ted Cruz saying no single payer causes delays, you know, inefficiency, et cetera, et cetera. And that, uh, you know, we pay more for healthcare in America, but we, we quote unquote get a lot more. Well, I, I, again, this is a classic situation where practicing physicians can add so much more to this discussion because we do this every day and for those of us who study uh, you know policy and and have a little uh, higher fund of knowledge um, you know outside of clinical medicine um, I think there's there are some contributions that are just begging to be made this is what I would tell Melissa is that you know we're in a we're in this paradigm where we we all we do is worry about who pays for insurance instead of cutting the cost. Here's here's the end point that I think would serve Melissa's needs the best is that you know she and I are about the same age. We figured that out. I'm not going to say what it is out of respect to her, but at a point in life where we're going to start needing to spend money on health care. What should have happened to us by this point is that we should have been putting money into a health savings account so that we had a bunch of money in an account that's ours. It's not sort of ethereal money that's in a deductible. It's not in a use it or lose it kind of a plan. It's money that if we don't spend, we keep. And under that scenario, we will take our own dollars into the market as cash-paying patients, and we will be able to shop for cash prices. So what Melissa needed was follow-up tests because of an abnormal pap smear. So you take your own money and you shop out whatever those tests need to be, and you can get a cash price that is far less expensive than an insurance price. I mean, you know, maybe a tenth the cost, maybe a fifth the cost. But, you know, CT scans that, you know, the list price to insurance is $2,000. You go in and pay cash, you can get it for a couple of hundred dollars. That's well documented. Uh, you know, uh, one of our, uh, uh, the, the president of our, uh, of Doctor Patient Care Foundation, Lee Gross, has a beautiful chart of a particular patient visit that went to the ER for abdominal pain, and the bill was $20,000 to insurance. Uh, if he had gone through a direct primary care practice, the exact same workup would have been, I think, $300. You know, astronomical difference in expenses when you take cash-paying patients and put them out into a free market and let them negotiate for prices. What we're missing in the system is downward pressure on prices. And we're never going to get downward pressure on prices uh, unless we put patients out there paying with money that is theirs to control, that they get to keep if they don't spend. And, you know, as a result, you know, we got, we got Senator Sanders saying some crazy stuff. Family incomes will go up when single payer health care comes. I, I'd love to see the data for that. I don't know where that comes from. And, you know, Senator Cruz made me a little bit nervous talking about the number of tests and scans and sections we do. Um, you know, there's a lot of people who, criticize fee for service and say that that just encourages higher output and, and, and it may sort of, you know, it leaves a discussion open for those folks to kind of assert themselves. So, uh, you know, that, that scares me a little bit. 
but Melissa, uh, you know, I was glad to meet you and, uh, you know, hope we cross paths again one of these days. But, uh, you know, it's, it, you may be feeling like you're being, uh, you know, blocked by financial issues, but, you know, under a single payer system, you know, you'll be on a wait list. I mean, we know that's true. We know that happens in other countries. I mean, at least in the scenario you're in, you know, if you can get the money for at least the next step for whatever the follow-up tests were, conceivably you could do it. Uh, but in a system where the government says you don't get this test, I mean, you're done. I mean, there is no alternative unless you leave the country. So I'm not sure which is worse, but I know that that the situation that we're describing, you know, which is, you know, you have a savings account, a health savings account where money's been deposited and growing tax-free, hopefully by this time in our lives for several years, that you can actually pay for that, you know, and you have control. You know, why should we be paying premiums to an insurance company for all these years and then we get to our age in middle age and, and, and now we have to start begging for that money back? I mean, and if we get it back at all, it's, you know, had years and years of insurance overhead deducted out of it. You know, we know that if you look at healthcare spending over a 10 year period, everyone, especially in our age group, everyone will spend money on healthcare. And as David Goldhill says in his book, Catastrophic Care, which we've talked about time and again and will continue to because it's a fantastic blueprint, is that that kind of spending is not well served by an insurance model. You know, it's it's kind of like saying you're going to put money into a benefit plan so when you need to buy a car, you can ask for the money to buy a car. It doesn't make sense. What do we do when we buy a car? We save up the money or we borrow the money, but we we are responsible for every penny. We don't give that up to a third-party payer. And so insurance, you know, healthcare, again, over, you know, measured over a five to 10 year period, which is the appropriate time period, everyone's going to be spending money on healthcare when you look at it in those terms. So it makes far more sense to have a model that lets you start saving early, let the money grow, let it accumulate interest, let it be pre-tax. And then folks like Melissa have the money in their pocket. They're empowered. They don't have to beg anybody for it. They don't have to worry about whether insurance is going to pay their claim. And uh, if the claim gets paid, it's far less than the premiums that you put in all these years. makes far more sense to pay health care expenses with a save-in-advance kind of a model with true insurance reserved for catastrophic events versus what we're doing now, which is not insurance. It's a, it's a benefit plan. And there's nothing about a benefit plan that holds down costs. So that's what I'd say about those. All right, next we got more stories about rationing with some, with my reaction. So here we go. When you have 28 million people who have no health insurance, that's rationing. When you have people who can't afford to go to the doctor or can't afford to buy prescription drugs, one out of five Americans can't afford the prescription drugs that doctors prescribe, that's called rationing. Except there's no rule on that, there's no law on that, it's just people don't have the money to buy what they need in terms of health care. To answer your question, Jake, what I have, you have people who have to argue with insurance companies for days before they can get the care that they need. See, Bernie, you say wasteful, and I say people exercising free choice. You're right. Okay, so did I not just say that? Did I not just say that, you know, why should you pay all this money to an insurance company and then beg for it back 
when you could save the money and have it in your own bank account and then be empowered to spend it or save it as you wish. Because for the vast majority of the healthcare dollars that we spend, that's how it's going to be. Again, separating out the God forbid type events, the car accidents, the cancers, that kind of stuff. You know, it ends up being a three-tiered system. You have the catastrophic events that require huge amounts of money. Those, I think, you know, need to be a, an insurance plan, you know, that, that you buy into that's a catastrophic plan. Again, very inexpensive, right? The middle tier is chronic disease that can be financed with risk pools that bring your expense back down to, you know, the baseline for a healthy person. And then the the rest of care, which is the majority of it, can be financed with savings accounts that you put money into when you're young and you draw from when you're old. And, you know, that combined with a lot of the other stuff that, that some you know, Republicans have in their plans, sort of age-adjusted tax credits and that kind of stuff, I think you could build a system that's, that's pretty darn slick. But, you know, on this, this topic of rationing, it's <laughs> Obamacare rations too, right? We talked about Melissa, the nurse practitioner who can't get her, you know, pap smear follow-up. Well, that's getting rationed. Uh, you know, as I was preparing to leave the office and go to Washington, D.C. for this debate last week, um, one of our newer uh, employees shared a story with me about her mother. Her mother was 64 years old, right, one year short of Medicare and had to go on Obamacare for one year. And they thought, okay, no harm done. We'll survive on Obamacare for one year. We'll get to Medicare. Fine. Well, her mother fell. Her mother fell and broke her arm, sadly, in two places. And it took, I think if I remember correctly, days for her to find a doctor that would take her Obamacare plan to fix her broken arm. So imagine the terror. Imagine the frustration that you're sitting there with an arm that's broken in two places and you can't find – your daughter who's in health care can't find a doctor to take your plan. Now, you don't call that rationing. You don't think that that's you know, – with limited provider networks in Obamacare, that that is not rationing care as bad as any other rationing system. You know, I think Senator Sanders has to face some of those numbers and realize that this, this dream plan that he wrote, right? Obamacare was his dream shot, uh, has not produced the results that anybody promised. Uh, so now I'm going to go on to, um, well, actually, I may wait till the fourth segment. We're about 30 seconds left. Um, in the fourth segment, we're going to do a little bit more about uh, some of the, some real good stories that Ted Cruz shared. Um, and then, um, you know, we're going to move on to some other stuff. But uh, uh, stick around. we got more neat stuff to do. We're going to finish up this debate in the fourth segment. You are listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio. Stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. 
The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to the Doctor's Lounge. This is your host, Dr. Mike Karuchak. Thanks very much for sticking with us all the way through segment four. I promise you this time, more than any other time on this show, in the two and a half years we've been on the air, it is worth it for you to stick around for the fourth segment. Uh, I've tried to save the best till last here. Uh, I'm going to call a little audible here. I know at the, the end of the third segment I said I was going to do some things, but I, I was I taking a look at everything I wanted to cover before the end, so I'm going to change the order a little bit. We're going to go straight into uh, what I think is one of the most important moments of this debate and share with you what I think doctors would have to say about the fundamental question about whether or not health care should be considered a right. Is health care a right or isn't it? So we're going to start with uh, some sound clips of Bernie Sanders asking this question, uh, not only as part of the CNN debate, but also uh, Bernie Sanders asked this question to Tom Price as a part of his confirmation hearing. So we're going to first play it from the confirmation hearing and then from the debate and uh, and then comment after that. So here we go. Uh, Congressman Price, the United States of America is the only major country on earth that does not guarantee health care to all people as a right. Canada does it. Every major country in Europe does it. Do you believe that health care is a right of all Americans, whether they're rich or they're poor? Should people, because they are Americans, be able to go to the doctor when they need to, be able to go into a hospital because they are Americans? Yes, we're Ted, let me ask you a question. Sure. Is every American entitled, and I underlined that word, to health care as a right of being an American? Yes or no? You know, I'm glad you asked that. You know, right is a word you use a lot. Let's talk about what rights are. Rights mean you have a right for government not to mess with you, for government not to do things with you. If you look at the Bill of Rights, the Bill of Rights, free speech means the government can't silence you when you're speaking. Religious liberty means the government can't control who you worship, what your faith is. The Second Amendment means the government can't take away your guns. Those. Okay. So Ted Cruz had lots more to say about whether or not health care was the right, but you get the gist of where he was going. And, and I think uh, uh, Senator Sanders won that exchange, uh, and, and I'll tell you why. Let's just kind of break down this question about health care as a right. You know, it's Bernie loves that question. Right, it's a gotcha question. It's a question that's designed to put the other person on the defensive. It's a question that's designed to put uh, to throw the other person off of their game. Because there's really only three ways to answer that question. I hope to offer you a fourth for your consideration. But at the moment, there are only three ways to answer that question. You can answer yes, at which point you concede the debate to Bernie. Because if you concede healthcare is a right, then implicitly you concede since the role of government is to protect rights, then you basically say government needs to control healthcare. So that's, if you say yes, he's got you. Um, if you say no, 
then you come across as cruel and cold-hearted and, you know, how can you tell that cancer patient that they don't have the right to care? So a no answer causes you to lose. And then the third option, and this is what uh, Ted Cruz got sucked into, is to go into theory and to talk about the definition of a right and talk about, you know, the next thing you know, you're talking about right to guns and right to free speech and you're totally off the subject of health care. The intellectual valid validity of the arguments there, but the problem is the optics are such that in a debate you end up losing. You know, Sean Hannity does the same thing on his program and ends up making the same mistake, sort of a different theoretical argument about, you know, if health care is a right, it takes away from the rights of others to life, liberty and property, fine. Uh, you know, intellectually makes sense, but, you know, in, in the end, the optics cause you to lose. It just leads to a bunch of gotcha moments. So the question highlights uh, why costs have been going up for so long, for so many decades, and all the bureaucrats and legislators and politicians can't solve them. Why? Because they're more interested in gotcha questions like this. They're more interested in sound bites that make them look better than the opposition. They are actually rolling up their sleeves and working together to fix the problem. This question also highlights why doctors are so desperately needed to enter this debate and move this conversation away from the gotcha garbage uh, and towards a practical solution. You know, we doctors, we live in a completely different world than this city in the clouds in Washington, D.C. You know, within 12 hours of the end of that debate, I was back in Atlanta having caught a 6 a.m. flight after sleeping two and a half hours to be back in the office seeing patients by 8.30, 9 o'clock the next morning when the debate didn't end until close to 11 p.m. the night before. And on the front lines of healthcare, where doctors and nurses and nurse practitioners like Melissa who asked the question at the debate, uh, you know, when we're trying to touch patients every day, we don't care if you call health care a right or not. We just want everyone to be able to get the care they need when they need it, right? Money should never get in the way. That always gets talked about. But you know what? There's other things that get in the way of health care too, right? Insurance denials get in the way. Drug formularies get in the way. Restricted networks get in the way. Quality reporting gets in the way. Regulations get in the way. Bureaucrats, legislators, politicians, they all get in the way. In a sense, sometimes, you know, in some situations, money's the least of your problems. You might have all the money in the world and have all these other things deny you care. They are a far more formidable obstruction to your care, to your right, if you like that rhetoric, uh, than, than money. And I don't know how to say it any other way than that. Senator Sanders, if you want to call it a right, fine. Go ahead. Your word's not mine. Right? You act like calling health care a right is some kind of magic bullet that instantly resolves the debate and fix the problem. But you've been doing this for 20 years, Senator Sanders. And the problem is no closer to being solved than it was 20 years ago. This debate hasn't changed in decades. There was nothing about this debate on Tuesday night that was any different than the debates that were going on when Obamacare was first getting litigated in 2008. And in fact, you can go back to Hillary Care and all the way back to Jimmy Carter versus Ronald Reagan in the 70s and not find any significant difference in the discussion. Obamacare, right, in part written by Bernie Sanders' own hand, was based on the notion of health care being a right. Look what's happened. Right. We have premiums going up like crazy. We have insurers provide, you know, uh, major insurers dropping out of exchanges. 
the only expansion of care that they like to brag about was really nothing more than expanding Medicaid, and there's no revolution in that. That's more of the same, more regulations, more requirements, and therefore higher costs, lower access. It's actually worked in the exact opposite direction than they promised. So when presented with this, what would Bernie Sanders say? Well, we know what he would say because he said it a million times during the debate. He would say, well, Obamacare is not enough. We need to go to full single-payer health care. Well, what happens when you go to full single-payer health care? Well, I was talking to my wife Amy about this last night, and she hit it right on the head. And I tell you what, as a husband, my wife Amy is right way too much of the time. It's kind of terrifying, but conversation for another day. Bottom line is my wife Amy was exactly right. When she said, if you turn your health care over to the government, you don't get rights. You give them up. You give up your control to the government. You give up your control to the bureaucrats and the legislators and the politicians and the folks who don't know you from Adam and, and quite frankly, don't care. Right? If you say single payer to a physician, right, what do we hear? We hear the VA. Right, Every single physician has to go through the VA, both in medical school and residency, as a part of their training, and we know what that culture's like. We know it's a disaster, and all those headlines have come out in the last several years. Right, We heard about waiting lists. We've heard about vets dying for care, uh, dying while waiting for care. Uh, we've heard of bureaucrats cooking the books so they get their productivity bonuses. We've heard that those few people in the system who actually care and try to make things better, what happens to them? Well, they get fired. They get relocated. They get disciplined. That's what single payer is all about. That's what Bernie Sanders wants to do to all of us. That would be an unmitigated disaster. You think, well, that's crazy. Obamacare doesn't have any of that. Well, you think? Let me give you another little bit of information that you may not know. There is a, a major architect of Obamacare who has worked quietly behind the scenes, one Ezekiel Emanuel. Maybe you've heard the name. One of the major architects behind Obamacare. He wrote something years ago called the Complete Lives System. The complete lives system. What is that? Well, it is a method of allocating healthcare resources and it changes the relationship between doctors and patients dramatically because the doctor no longer represents the patient. The doctor represents the interests of society. So you no longer have a patient advocate in your doctor, no longer have somebody who looks out for your interests in your doctor. That doctor is obligated against his or her Hippocratic oath to represent the interests of society over the individual interest of the patient who's right in front of him or her. So what does that mean? Well, there's a curve. There's something called the Reaper curve that actually plots your worthiness of care against age. And basically what it says is if you're in the prime of your life and you're very productive, then you're a good investment for society. If you're in your mid-20s to your mid-30s and you get sick, well, you'll get care because if we can fix you and make you well again, you'll be able to contribute back to society. But if you are very young or you are very old, well, society decides you're not that good of an investment. So a young child with a birth defect that is life-threatening wouldn't get care under that system, right? Your 88-year-old grandmother who needs heart surgery or hip replacement, nah, that's not really a good investment. That's what's waiting for us if we ever get into a fully matured single-payer system, an absolute disaster. So let's circle back. Is healthcare a right? Well, that's a good question for a political science class. It's a good question for folks to debate in the city in the clouds called Washington, D.C. But at the front lines of healthcare, 
We just don't have time for gotcha questions. We need this thing fixed. So, Senator Sanders, if you ever find the strength to get beyond that question that you can't seem to get around, which is, is health care right? You let me know. You let me know if that happens. If it does, I will put my heart and soul into working with you and Senator Cruz and anybody else who is truly interested in fixing this and not just winning sound bites in front of the news cameras, then maybe, just maybe, we have a chance at saving this. So that's my best answer to the question of what happens, uh, you know, is healthcare right and does it really matter? And it highlights again, doctors need to join this debate, right? Without doctors in this debate, Nothing productive has happened to this discussion in at least the eight years we've been litigating Obamacare, really many more years than that. The only thing that changed is we got a few pathetic little statistics, right? We have the Bernie Sanders crowd that brags about 20 million patients insured, right? Definition of insured is they have insurance cards. That doesn't guarantee them access to care by a long shot. And we have the arguments from the other side about government control, which without the doctor's perspective – have gotten stale, right? With the doctor's perspective, we can breathe new life into those arguments because we live healthcare and breathe healthcare every day. People who can't get access to care to doctors aren't statistics. They are names. They are faces. They are unfortunate stories, not just one night every six months in a CNN debate, but every single day of our professional lives, that's what doctors face. You've been listening to The Doctor's Lounge on America's Web Radio.